Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus. That's M P L U S. Or follow the link in the episode description. Did you want to say something about your outfit today? Not that I'm like accusing you of anything. So the thing with having a teenage daughter is that you always want their approval. It's like a weird power dynamic Flip. that shifts. Mm. Yeah, because they, they're they very stingy with it. Yeah. And so this morning I said to her, because I was wearing something I thought she liked, like I'm wearing kind of baggy, loose jeans, not unlike the kids do, but then I'm wearing like fluoro converse and a like a sequin T-shirt. And I said, do you like my outfit? And she goes, it's an outfit. Oh, That sounds like me. I laughed. I'm like, yes, it is an outfit. That is correct. <laughs> it is an outfit. I keep trying though. One day. Oh, my God. Did I tell you about how Billy asked me if you could do anything about wrinkles on your face? And I said, yeah, people can do all kinds of things about wrinkles on their face. And Billy said to me, so why don't you do any of them? <laughs> I was really offended. Yeah. And then he true. didn't understand why I was offended because he was just making an observation. Correct. And I came to it with all my baggage. baggage. And I was like, you should never say that to a person, Billy. And he was just like looking at me like, whoa. Poor Billy, don't speak the truth, Billy. <laughs> Billy, has no one taught you yet? Mummy spent $600 <laughs> this month on trying to get rid of the wrinkles, Billy. <laughs> this is why you can't go to a private school. Yeah, come and, exactly. Come and look at the serums, Bill. Come and look at the serums. That's your future in that cabinet. Mama Mia Out Loud! Welcome to Mama Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, are you a giver, a taker, or a matcher? And how your pubes can save the planet. Yes, you heard that right. How your pubes can save the planet. Assuming you have some. Assuming you do. Not everyone does anymore. It's very true and we'll be getting to that because can you still help if you're a bit patchy? But first... I was born in Chernivtsi, Ukraine in 1983. I came to America in 1991. I have always considered myself an American, a proud American. I love everything that this country has done for myself and my family. But today, I have never been more proud to be a Ukrainian. And I've never been more proud to be married to a Ukrainian. You might have seen an image of a video call between the president of the Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, and two very famous Hollywood types, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher. The picture of the besieged world leader who is literally fighting for his life and the lives of his 44 million countrymen right this minute as Russia have invaded his country. It looks like this image is on a Zoom call with the celebrities. Zooming in from their living room. As and long as the celebrities aren't singing. They do not appear to be singing. And that's why at first it's a bit jarring, this imagery, because you're thinking, 
why is Zelensky, who is one of the most high-profile men in the world at the moment, and he has a lot going on, to put it mildly, talking to Ashton and Mila? One of my friends post sent to me and said, this is war in 2022. And it is a very modern image because they are on this video call. But Miller and Ashton have raised more than $35 million for Ukraine via their GoFundMe. And that includes $3 million of their own money, which they started the GoFundMe with saying that they would match donations to the tune of $3 million. And Zelensky was, in essence, thanking them on this call for their support in a very deliberate and visible way, which is what we'll talk about. He said, Ashton and Miller were among the first to respond to our grief. They have already raised $35 million and are sending it to Flexport and Airbnb to help refugees. Grateful for their support, impressed by their determination, they inspire the world. Now, Miller Kunis is Ukrainian. She came to the US when she was a little girl from Ukraine and her parents are Ukrainian. And this is an example, I think, of very famous people using their power for absolute good. Is it something to be absolutely celebrated or should privileged celebrities kind of stay off the call sheets of world leaders? I think it's wonderful. I mean, they seem to be the Celeste Barber of the bushfires. There's something about, firstly, the reach and the trust that celebrities have, and sometimes that's problematic when people trust celebrities more than they trust institutions or, in some cases, charities, but they certainly put their money where their mouth is quite literally by donating $3 million of their own money. I figure if I was them, I mean, it's not like they posted a picture of here's us talking to Zelensky, but it is kind of you sort of think doesn't he have shit to do? But I guess, I mean, that's amazing. That what was they my did. first instinct was surely this man, his meeting schedule is pretty overwhelming. Like his Google calendar, I don't imagine he has a lot of breaks. And I wondered if like a 15 minute chat with Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher was the most important thing he could do that day. Then I looked further into it and had so much respect for what the two of them did. Because it wasn't just a symbolic Instagram post. It was, as you say, raising an enormous amount of money for refugees. And it made me think about the history of celebrities and their engagement in war. So, for example, like World War II, there was this actress I remember learning about named Marlene Dietrich, and she was German and ended up renouncing her German citizenship and would go to the US troops and perform for them. And she was very outspoken and about how much she did not agree with what Hitler did. So this isn't an entirely 2022 image. Like this has always been the case because wars are about what's happening on the ground. They're about troops. They're about life and death. But wars are also incredibly symbolic. And this war is symbolic in that it is about the fight between democracy and a dictatorship. It is about whether or not we accept genocide, whether or not we accept innocent people losing their lives. And if US celebrities come out and say, I don't agree with this, I'm going to do everything I can to put my money and my power behind a good cause, then that can only be a good thing. This is about the West fighting for democracy. It's also very strategic on Zelensky's part, right? Because 
I think that the thing that Zelensky wants is he wants the West support. He's asking very strongly for more support from the West, more sanctions, more backing troops on the ground in some cases, you know, more money for weaponry and aid to Ukraine, as well as help with the more than 10 million displaced people who are pouring out of Ukraine at the moment. In order to do that and convince the leadership of the West that they should help him, and overwhelmingly at the moment, that is a sympathetic audience. So he got a standing ovation at the EU Parliament. He is a hero of the moment, no question. But the more of this kind of publicity, and I know it sounds like a trivial word in this context, but the more of this kind of publicity reaching people who might not be engaged with this story in other ways, the better for him, for Ukraine. I know what you mean that it isn't necessarily modern, Jesse, in a way, but he's very savvy. He's very social media savvy. I don't, and obviously he's savvy. He's a world leader, but he's very social media savvy. He has a background himself in media and entertainment, so he knows how to use it. And I think what you're seeing in the way that he's playing the optics of this war, and I don't mean on the ground. I mean, that sounds like a terrible thing to say because we've seen the optics of the war on the ground, which involves civilians being killed and, you know. And and whole towns being raised. I know, and and maternity wards and shopping centres. But I mean in terms of how he's playing the political side, which is very important to get the support that he needs, he's a master at it. He absolutely is. And it's amazing to see that happening at the same time that his life and all of his countrymen's life are so much under threat. Central to Ukraine winning this war is the support of the West. And for anyone who's interested in how the war is playing out, there's a brilliant article on The Atlantic at the moment about how Ukraine is winning and Russia is disorganised, it's a mess. They came in with a particular strategy that is not paying off and that was the silver lining of hope I needed this week, I think, when looking at this news story. Two bits of good news. One is that Kanye isn't playing at the Grammy Awards anymore because of the harassment campaign that he's been waging against his ex-wife. And Love that boyfriend. news. I thought that was good. I don't think it's good news. Why? I'm with Trevor Noah on this. He said, I didn't say cancel Kanye. I said cancel Kanye. But I, think I don't think he's cancelled. It plays it's just into saying... a very cancellation narrative. Nah, because... Really? I reckon (laughs) if Kanye got on stage at the Grammys, can you imagine firstly what he would say? He would use that platform to further terrorise his ex-wife and to set his fans on Pete Davidson. Do you know who else has done a good job is whoever it is, HBO, who has greenlit season two of And Just Like That. That I can agree with you on. And Shay Diaz is coming back. It was interesting because they dropped a little teaser and it showed all those main characters Sarita and Lisa LTW and Che and of course the three main ladies I'm so excited I'm upset that it was up for discussion yeah I didn't think it was up for discussion (laughs) it was clearly coming back for a season two I mean I can't remember the last time a television show lit the internet up every single time it dropped an episode like love it or hate it the fact that everyone was so passionately involved in debating it I can't think of another show that's done that, so bit of a no-brainer. As Charlotte began her new career as a professional husband hunter, Miranda returned home to Mamma Mia Out Loud. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move 
and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. If 2020 could be summed up in a word, it would be languishing. Remember, we've spoken about languishing on the show. And the man who coined that term is a guy called Adam Grant. I love Adam Grant because I think he's called a organizational psychologist, which means that he sort of specializes in how people work and how people kind of live in the world and behave in the world. He was the co-author with Sheryl Sandberg of her brilliant book that she wrote after her husband died called Option B. Fun fact, I think she wanted to call it Plan B, but she couldn't because in America, Plan B is the name of the morning after pill. Oh, That's a different thing. So it's a different thing. thing. Anyway, Adam Grant, I interviewed him this week and he was the one that coined the term languishing. He wrote an op-ed about it. It was the one that we were discussing about how that's the vibe of everybody, you know, two years into a pandemic. And on No Filter in our conversation, he gave us three new buzzwords and they are giver, taker, and matcher. Here's how Adam described them. So these are fundamental styles of social interaction that we find in every culture around the world. A giver is somebody who's constantly asking, what could I do for you? A taker is the opposite. It's all about, what could you do for me? And a matcher is the instinct that most people have when they don't want to be too selfish or too generous. Let's say you meet a new colleague, for example. You'd say, well, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. Mm-hmm. And there are different values that underlie these three styles of interaction, right? So givers are guided usually by generosity and compassion, takers by personal ambition, and matchers by a sense of fairness and reciprocity. In news that surprises absolutely no one, givers are mostly women, but uh, not all women are givers. So, Jesse, what do you reckon you are? And what do you reckon I am, more importantly? Good question. I think I've heard Adam Grant say that most people are matchers because we have an innate sense of justice and fairness. I am absolutely a matcher. I'd love to say I'm a giver. I'm not. I'm a matcher. I don't keep a tally, but if I have done something for someone else, then I probably wouldn't hesitate to ask them a favour back. That seems fair to me. Mia, I think you're probably exactly the same. I see you being a giver in a lot of ways, but I don't think that you get to run your own business and make high stakes decisions without having to at times be a taker. Like I think that you probably have to do both. And this made me think of my twin sister, Claire, absolute giver. And it makes her resentful. I have like interventions with her like once a week about the fact that she is a giver. What's the difference between a giver and a martyr, do you think? Yeah, good point. I think they're interchangeable. Well, I feel like a giver doesn't feel resentful, but a martyr feels resentful. Because remember we talked about toxic martyrdom? Being the person who's at work at nine o'clock going like, oh, I guess I'll just do it then. Yeah. And making sure everybody sees you doing it. Like, is that person a giver or is that person, I don't know that that's giving behavior. I think that sometimes when you're a giver, I think that it's important not to glorify it too much because I think it can lead to a sense of resentment. And Claire is one of the kindest people I know and I beat myself up because I watch her behavior as opposed to mine and think you should be more like Claire, you should be more like Claire. But she really struggles to take in situations when she should. I think that givers probably have to take a page out of the taker's book every now and then in order to get ahead. 
I think givers get a lot of their self-worth from giving and they probably don't feel worthy enough to take or some givers I think give in a manipulative way. But what I think is interesting and what Adam told me is that interestingly givers, when you look at it in a work context, givers are the most successful at work and also the least successful. Yeah, I found that So they're overrepresented at both ends of the spectrum because in some ways being very giving can help you succeed but also it can, if you put everybody's needs above your own, it can help you fail. I think he also said that about takers. I think he said that givers and takers are overrepresented at both ends of the spectrum because if you're in a hard-nosed sales role, being a taker is a great thing, but... You'll be called out by the matches. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and it will end up at the bottom. I don't know if I'm getting old and grumpy, but I am increasingly rejecting the there are only X amount of types of people kind of discussions because... I think I've been all of these things at different times, right? So what I am intrinsically, I don't know. I would leave it to you lot to decide. But I think that when you're a parent, for example, you're giving constantly of small children and it doesn't necessarily come naturally to you or make you happy, but you're just endlessly doing it. And then you get to work and you can feel like you're giving endlessly there too. And you end up just with enormous giving overwhelm. But I would argue if you're not a giver, in your role as a parent, then you're not a very good parent. Well, or I you should parenting teaches you. Like it, well, it actually forces you. I don't you. necessarily agree. What should you be taking I as a parent? I think you should be matching, not with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you I've know. given you so much of my time. What have you done for me, newborn? What you have you done about, for me? Um, a healthy relationship, even a parental one, over the course of a life. You like, haven't asked me about my go, day. Should you haven't made me a cup of tea. I say to my kids all the time, like, you don't get to treat us like doormats. I mean, you do, and you often do, <laughs> and here we are being doormats. But that's not the healthiest way to do this. There should be some reciprocity in that situation in an ideal way. So I don't know. I reckon there have been times in my life when I've been overly giving, but again, I probably wouldn't be where I am if I didn't take sometimes too. So I, I think it swings and roundabouts sometimes, Adam, I'm sorry. A few years ago, I met a taker who I could not believe the things she asked of me. She was in, in a similar industry and I was so shook. I couldn't stop telling everyone about what this person would ask, how little they would give me and just the audacity of the requests and I watched it, she got really ahead. Did you give her the things that she asked for? So I did for the first, say, first three times. And I went, oh, that's a big ask, but okay, because I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. But I have this really keen sense of justice, of just like, that's not fair. And it got to a request. I remember receiving this request that was enormous. Like my best friends wouldn't ask me for this request. And it was putting my professional integrity on the line. And I received it and just went, oh, I don't know how to say no to this. And I sort of had to ignore it because I didn't know what to do. But it reminded me that that there are people that that's how they climb. That's how they climb the ladder. And it really worked for her. It was kind of shocking to see. If you're a taker, does it mean that you're uncomfortable with asking for help? Because I think I'm a taker in my relationship 
Mm. which don't tell him that, except already he knows because he's been married to me for 20 years. Interesting. And I'm not proud of that because I think I am a taker in that relationship yeah. and he's a giver. That's interesting. But in other aspects of my life, I'm much more comfortable giving than I am taking because I think I must be a matcher because I feel like I don't want to owe people. I'd prefer to be owed and never collect on that debt than to owe people. Than to be in anybody yeah. else's debt. Yeah. You could be different in different roles in your yeah, life. Yeah, I think sure. so. And I'll add to that that being in a situation, the conversations I've had with Outlouders over the last few weeks in terms of people who are chronically ill, have hurt themselves, struggle with mental illness, being put into the position of taker is one of the most transitionally shocking <laughs> situations that I reckon women struggle with probably more than men where suddenly you're put in a position like I am at the moment where all I can do is take and it's extremely uncomfortable. You don't know how to give back and emotionally if you're in a dark place, you stop having the ability to give back. Like I think that sometimes whether it comes to empathy or or whatever, you become very bad at giving a shit about anyone else. Your well is dry. You've got nothing Your well is dry. So I think that's the other thing about takers is that often it can be a symptom of someone who is in a really, really bad place and doesn't have the energy to care about anyone else. And hopefully that is a um, temporary situation. Jessie, will you make me dinner or a cake? (laughs) Absolutely not. We want to hear what you are out louders. Are you a giver, a taker or a matcher? Do you think it changes depending on different areas of your life? And also how do you spot Mm. one? That's the other thing. Yes. Classic taker behaviour. at your pubes wondering if you might be able to trade them in for some free stuff. Always. Okay, same. (laughs) And I have good news for you, Holly. You love to make a little quick buck. There's a brand called EOS, which stands for Evolution of Smooth, and recently they had a campaign where if you sent in a pouch full of your pubes, then they send you free shaving cream. What do they want to do with my pubes, I Jessie? feel like I'm suspicious. They're sort of in the wrong order. Shouldn't they send me the shaving cream first or would then I have too much shaving cream in my pubes? Yeah, oh, what are they going to do with and my pubes? And they are questions. We will be taking questions at the end. Okay, sorry, Jessie. Sorry, a little bit sorry. patient. Sorry. Holly, they want to plant a pube park, obviously. Oh, of course it's they do. A new garden. And grow more pubes. Yes. For the people who've had all theirs lasered off. Exactly. Exactly. It's a new garden where the soil is nourished with pubes because repurposed hair waste can solve a number of environmental problems. So basically human hair is a really effective biodegradable tool for reducing soil erosion. If you could see Holly's face right now out loud. She's so excited. It's got wrinkles on it because her whole face is scrunched up, kind of part laughing, part wincing. I love this story, but when I actually think about the logistics of the person unpacking all the pube pouches, <laughs> I don't know if there's enough hand sanitizer left in the world after Hands the COVID work. pandemic. Yes. And look, I love this too. It's fabulous. And I knew that when I went to a laser clinic, and said, I'll be getting a bikini, not a Brazilian laser situation. I knew I was saving it for something. I just didn't know what. And it turns out I'm saving it for the pube park. But I do have some questions. The first one is in regards to collecting the pubic hair, because do you snip them into a satchel? Anyone who has ever trimmed pubes knows that they fly all over the place. They get stuck to walls, they get stuck to the ground, and then it's troubling for visitors. 
when they see. Sorry, did you say they fly all over walls? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I once had an accident doing this. It was when I was in labour with my first child, your boyfriend, Jesse, and um, I decided in in that way that you think you can control things the first time mm. you give birth, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I need to be tidy. Yeah, I and need a trim. I was in labour and so before we left for the hospital, I'm like, I just have to give myself a trim, except you can't, you can't see. see. When you're pregnant, you can't see down there. So I just had to guess and I did a little nick. Oh, bleeding. Okay. No, so now there's blood and pubes on the walls. (laughs) Which brings me to my second problem, which is the job of the person to open the pube satchel. Because (laughs) are most of the pubes wet? What about pubic lice? Crabs? Are they helpful or a hindrance? Because you might have been doing the trimming or the shaving in a wet Shower. situation. Or you had to scoop them out of the toilet because you were crouching over and the And I know toilet. in the gig economy yes. people are doing all kinds of things to True. make ends meet. But it's a this side hustle. feels really at the bottom of the barrel. Like how many pubes do you need as well? Because as previously discussed, a few women, they got some patchy pubes. And so do we need to go in with friends? Should we send an out loud oh. satchel which is full of all our pubes just so that there's enough for the pube part. I have trust issues. I've watched enough true crime documentaries to know they could be planting my pubes at crime scenes and trying oh to frame Oh, my God, me. I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's a great DNA, point. little pouches of DNA being sent over to save the world. One of my questions, Jesse, and you might know this because you are an environmental goddess amongst us. You are the environmental goddess. Is it true that pubic hair is amazing like super growing material? for planting stuff in the pube park. It's true, but pubic hair isn't any better than the hair on your head. So I feel as though this is a little bit of like a, like the shock value I think is why it's caught people's attention. But apparently things like pet hair, which I fill my vacuum with you Every know, day. daily, mm-hmm. is really good for absorbing oil spills in the ocean. Ooh. So like there's all these random uses. So much better to go and so put your pubes our- in the ocean, right? Yes. yes. That's what I do with mine. So we can sprinkle them. We can yeah. just bring our satchels to the ocean to Bondi Beach, do a little pube sprinkle. Build a pube raft. Because a pube, a pube I like that. Is it made of pubes, like woven? Yes, woven pubes into a raft and just like then paddle out to sea and soak up the oil. Do you guys remember though, and this is another issue I've got to put on the table, when Emma Watson talked about using pube oil? Oh, yeah. Do you remember I this? don't. Yes, so this was a few years ago. I think about it often. She said that she uses a pube oil to like slick down her pube Like on beards, like there's beard oil. Yes, yes. But then I thought, well, Emma Watson, miss, you know, I'm great for the world and the planet. I just don't know if pube oil is great for the pube park. I think that maybe you've got to put the pube oil down. Look, I also think that, you know, to state the bloody obvious, sending away, because you have to send away for the pouch, they then post the pouch to you, you then put your pubes in it, you then send it back to them and when they receive it, they then send back to you a free sample of shaving cream, which I assume is in some kind of packaging that's probably not biodegradable. So, (laughs) flaw in the system. Let's state an obvious fact. This is a publicity stunt. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Brent would be so proud of that pun. The solution, though, the solution is that you make on your balcony your own pube park. And I think that's something we could all try. Exactly. Do our bit for the planet, Outlouders. 
I have a recommendation. It is Amy Schumer's new show called Life and Beth. I've been looking at this. Is it worth my time? It really, really really is. I know. So I was reading an interview with her recently to promote this show and she talked about how she got really, really famous a few years ago. Remember when Amy Schumer was everywhere, everyone loved her. She did her stand-up specials, then she did her movie. Then people got really sick of her. Mm. She sort of became a bit of an activist. People didn't like that. And I even found myself thinking, oh, Amy Schumer, I'm a bit tired of her shtick. Like I felt like I was a bit tired of her and I didn't even know why. And she was saying how she went from playing sort of 15,000 seat stadiums to 5,000 seats. And she said that was a really interesting way to measure her dwindling popularity and the sort of the backlash. She was never cancelled, but it was more just like people got tired of her. I mean, we do do that with female famous people a little bit more than male when we're like, love, 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 hate. Who do you think you are? Mm, Moving on. So she's written and stars in this show called Life and Beth about a woman who goes back to her hometown and it's just smart and funny and lovely. She breaks up with her fiancé, meets this guy. It's quite autobiographical in some ways in that the guy she meets appears to be on the autism spectrum and her husband is on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. It's just really well written. It's beautiful. Like it looks like a Hallmark movie. So it kind of looks like a a rom-com sort of a movie, but it's actually got great writing. It's a side of her that you haven't seen before in that she's not over the top. She's quite kind of understated. She plays it small. I just really loved it. They did that thing where they dropped I'm losing track of all the shows I'm watching because now everyone's dropping like three episodes. So you get really hooked and then they drop one every week, but I always forget where they are and what I'm watching. So anyway, they've dropped, I think, three or four episodes, Life and Beth. It's on Disney+. Plus. Before we go on yesterday's subscriber segment for any Mamma Mia subscriber, we had Mia and I. Jessie wasn't part of this because A, she was laid up, but B, she would probably rather stick pins in her eyes and be part of this conversation. <laughs> we talked to Dr. Ginny Mansberg about yeah, Perry. That Perry was such a great conversation. It was. Here's a little grab of the conversation that Mia and I had with Dr. Ginny. There are so many different symptoms of Perry, right? How do you know what is Perry and what is just a woman being over 40 or 50 or however old you are? This is so hard Mm. because we don't have a test. You can't go to your doctor and say, hey, am I in Perry? Just do the test because we can do hormone tests, but they're going to be different. And the first part of Perry is your estrogen is amazing. Sometimes it's even quite high, but your progesterone levels tank. Now, what happens then? Insomnia is a huge one. In fact, while 15% of women will go through insomnia at any time in their life, that number goes up to 60% around Perry, particularly that first part of Perry. Mood swings. Do you know you are more likely to get anxiety and depression in your Perry period than you are postnatal, than you are as a teenager? It is peak mental health time. That is all we have time for on today's show. Thank you for listening. It was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer is the wonderful Eliza Ratliff. And we will see you on Friday. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. 
we pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Nobody, nobody, nobody nobody speaks to me like Mamma Mia.